Good morning, church. How is it? Man, that was a good morning from you guys. Uh, my name is Cody King. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, very pleased to be able to share with you guys this morning um, about small town. And, um, and as Dick said in the announcements, you know, he just, he talked about, you know, inviting that, that, that one person, just thinking of asking yourself the question, who is it that I can invite to Easter? But this morning, I want to talk through a question um, that we kind of tend to have in a small town. It's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult in a small town when we think about this question, simply because the dy- dynamic that we have. Right? Everybody knows everybody here in a small town. Right? Um, over the last few weeks, we've been, we've been talking about this idea of a small town, that, that, that small towns are ordinary, right? they're boring, but also that extraordinary things can come out of that ordinary. We talked about small town gossip, you know, and sometimes in some ways, you know, those gossip circles can kind of maybe be a hindrance to why we don't ask someone or invite someone to church in a way. I don't want to end up in that gossip circle over there. What are they going to call me? A Bible thumper? Is that the worst that could happen? But nonetheless, the question is, why is it sometimes that in a small town, is it difficult for someone that's raised in a small town, that's known in a small town, to be open and, and share you know, what, what the change that they've experienced. Now, last week we talked about how a small town accepts an outsider, but this, this week I want, I want to talk about how a small town accepts the insider, you know, that's changed their life that is different from what, what they seem to know about them. Um, so Jesus, as we learned earlier, you know, he was from a small town. But before his ministry starts in Luke 4, Luke says, he tells us that, that Jesus, uh, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by the devil, right? He's tempted three times, and then after that, uh, Satan leaves him, and then after the 40 days, he begins um, his ministry, right? He, in 14, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So at the beginning of his ministry, right, Matthew and Mark, they give... Um, a few stories of what happens or what Jesus does during this time frame. But Luke, he just sums it up. And he just says, hey, Jesus, after he was tempted, he just goes out and he just starts preaching. Goes to synagogues. He starts teaching people. He starts doing things and, 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 and healing people. And word spreads about him. So as word spreads about him, naturally it's going to end up going to you know, where he was from. Those people are going to hear about what he's doing. And hearing that everyone is glorifying this guy they know to be Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus? From here? Right? Y'all hear about Jesus? You know, the Jesus we know, right? He's out there doing all these things, right? Think about how excited they are as they're hearing about this. Our very own Jesus is doing these things, right? Grant Celine's got Chris Tomlin. We've got Jesus, right? And Nazareth, they're all happy about it. So Jesus is going about it, and he's, and he's just, and he's sharing, and, and, and his ministry is beginning. And then in verse 16, he goes back to his hometown. And we're going to look this morning at what happens and what Jesus experiences when he goes back to his hometown, to the people that he would say, you know, would know him best and know who he was. So in verse 16, Luke says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as, his, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And, and in that culture, the teacher, you know, they would read, but then they would sit down and all the hearers would stand and would listen. I don't know at what point we, we flip this where the teacher stands and everybody else sits. You know, perhaps less people would fall asleep if we kept that custom. But he reads, and then he sits down, and he begins to teach. And, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. And then all spoke well of him and marveled. And it's in, in, in the Greek, it can be rendered that, that they just testified about him, Right? They were just talking about him. Did you hear what he was saying? And it's not that they had admiration for what he was saying. They marveled. It says that they wondered about what he was saying. They were hearing him, but they were in wonder of him, not admiring him. And then um, uh, they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then they said, is not this Joseph's son? Now, 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 oftentimes we can miss this, and I've missed this several times when I've read this, read this text, just kind of skimming through it. And they miss it as well, but it's quite profound when you get to this point. Is not this Joseph's son is the question they ask. And honestly, it's irrelevant in a lot of what he just said. Now, he reads, he's given the scroll of Isaiah. He can open it up and read anything that he wants out of there. But it says that he finds the place where it was written, and this is Isaiah 61, and now I'll read it again. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they're like, man, yeah, that's good, Jesus. That's a good one. Glad you picked that one. You know, that's the Messiah, essentially. That's what Isaiah is writing about. It's the Messiah that's going to come, and this is describing what the Messiah is going to do. Man, well, Jesus, we can't wait for that Messiah. That's a good one. And then Jesus says this in 21. He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it's unmistakable. What Jesus is saying is, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's coming. I, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm here to set the captives free, to speak good news to the poor, to set at liberty those that are, in, that are being oppressed. Jesus is saying, you are the poor. You're the oppressed. You're in captivity. I'm here to set you free. And what is their response? It's not this Joseph's son. Matthew and Mark, they say it like this, is, is this, isn't this the carpenter? He made the chair that's in my room. I mean, it's a pretty good chair. But I mean, isn't, isn't, this, isn't, isn't his mother Mary, aren't his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon? Are not his sisters all with us right now? I know this guy. What? It's not that. And for us today, I mean, it's, we circle with the same thing. Sometimes we get in situations or encounters with people from our past Right? And there's people that are, that are here this morning that have, that have come to this church and they've experienced life change. And they've given themselves over to the Lord and they are not who they once were. But they get into conversations with people that they used to live in sin with and all of a sudden these people, they would say, it's not who you are. Man, we used, to, we used to do drugs together. We used to party together. She's a gossip. All she, she, all she does is talk about people. I hear it. She's an adulteress. She slept with the guy in the back seat back there. I know who you are is what they say, but the reality is if you come here and you've experienced life change, they don't know who you are. They know who you were, but they don't know who you are. 
And that's the difference. And that's the struggle that they have here with Jesus. Is they're getting hung up not on what he's saying, but they're getting hung up on who they believe him to be, and they're missing what he's saying. It's the same idea in John chapter 6, uh, verse 41. He says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? That's not what he said. Again, they're hung up on who they believe him to be, that they miss what he says. He says, I'm the bread that came down from him. I'm the bread of life. I'm what gives you fulfillment and sustenance. I'm the promise of God. That's who I am coming down. But what he can say, he come down from heaven. Isn't this Jesus? And they get hung up on that idea of who they believe him to be. And for us, sometimes that's a struggle. When we're trying to share, they, they believe that you are something that you're not. They believe that you are someone that you used to be that they know. You know, for me, I was I was born and raised in this town. So aside from three years that that I went to to college, you know, and then came back. I mean, I've I've been here. Right here. There's people, there's many people in this town that know who I am. And I don't say that boastfully, it's just a small town. Right? I'm known by people. Right? I was raised in 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 the church right over here in the middle of town. I was I was highly invested in that church as as a kid, you know, and, and and through part of my teenage years, I went on mission trips. I was part of the praise team. I played bass in the praise team. I went to camp every year. I was invested. So when people hear about me being a pastor here now and on staff, they're like, "Yeah, I get that." Great for Cody. I knew you'd do something like that. But they don't know about the ten to twelve years in between then and now, where I lived in outright rebellion to the Lord where I gave myself over to the lusts of the flesh. Nearly everything in Galatians 5 that, that are acts of the flesh there, I lived out for more than 10 years. But they don't know that, but now there are people during that span of time that I did those things with, that I lived like that with. And I encounter those people now. And this is, this is tough for me even to, and I get that moment, I start to feel that tension when I'm around them, I start having conversations with them. Hey, what have you been doing? You know, I'm, I'm apt to say on oh, really not that much. Hey, you working at the church? Yeah, I'm working at the church. How's that going? What's going good? Instead of, man, it's going great. It's wonderful. Yeah, I'm in a journey group, and we went and served out at Rolling Oaks. You went to Rolling Oaks? For real? Yes, we went to Rolling Oaks. We did eye exams for kids. They played on bounce houses. We fed them. God is doing a work out there. What is that? What do you, what do you mean? How much time do you got? Instead of that, I'm more apt to, you know, it's been good. You know, I've been, been all right. How have you been? Well, I've been good. Because it's usually how the conversation goes. But why is that? Most people, if you do share with them, their response is they get hung up on that. Cody, I know who you are. But the reality is, no, you don't. You don't know who I am. You know who I was, but you don't know who I am. And who I am is this. And let me tell you about it. John, in uh, chapter 5, he records this. Um, this is, what it's, this is where we're going to really begin to answer this question, why it's difficult. Not necessarily why it's difficult, but what we do about it. And um, in verse 16 of, of John chapter 7, uh, Jesus, he responds to them in 15. It says, the Jews marveled, saying, how is it that this man is this learning? Again, it's the Jews, and they're, they're hung up on him and who he is. Uh, he has never studied, so Jesus answered them, and he says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He takes, himself, he takes himself out of it. 
Like my teaching, what you're hearing from me isn't coming from me. It's coming from him who sent me. And then he says this, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. He's saying if, if, if you knew God, if you followed God, you would realize and know that what I'm telling you is truth. It's from God. It's not from me. You would realize that if you knew God. He's essentially saying you don't know God. And he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So essentially, he's just making this analogy for if, if, if someone's sending me to tell you something, and I'm making it known that the message I'm giving you is coming from the sender, not from me, you're, it's truth. There's no falsehood about it, because I'm not making it about me. But if I come puffed up, Regardless of where the message came from, and I'm making this about me and my glorification, you're going to realize. Most people realize it, and it's like, ah, he's all about himself. But if I come on the behalf of someone else, he says it's true. There's no falsehood. And then he hits them with this. He gives them, he gives them this example. In verse 19, he says, has not Moses given you the law? You may not believe necessarily where, you know, who I am, where I came from, or where the message I'm giving you. You may not necessarily know or believe that in me, but you certainly know who Moses is. And you most certainly know where Moses got the law, he says. And then he says this, yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? And he just flips it back on the people. He's like, why are you, why are you so mad at me? You're, you're struggling to, to, to believe who I am, who I say I am, and the message that I have and where it's coming from. But you know Moses, you know where it came from, but you don't even do what he says. Why are you seeking to kill me? But they're not, hung, they're not hung up on the message. They're hung up on who's giving the message. So for us today, what does that look like? Because oftentimes when we get in those situations, we can go into that knowing, hey, they're going to get hung up on, on who I am, not what I'm telling them. But does that change what you're telling? Or what you should be telling? Why don't we tell them? So there's the question. Why is it difficult then to share the message with them? Just like that, that video. Is that, it's, 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 most times it's out of fear of what they're going to think. I don't want to put my friend on the spot, but mostly it's, it's I, don't, I don't know what they're going to think about me. I don't want to end up in that gossip circle. But what we do in that situation is we make it about the messenger instead of the message. We do the reverse. We make it about ourselves and not about them. Instead of it being about them and the message that they need to receive, we're fearful of what they're going to think about us. Man, it's going to be awkward. Possibly. We make it about us instead of about them. And then we don't share. But how does Jesus respond here? He says, back in uh, 23 of uh, John, he says, And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your own hometown as well. And he says, physician, heal yourself. As if to say, hey, prove to us you are who you say you are. Because you're Joseph's son. I know who you are. And you're, you're saying this stuff about, you know, setting captives free. I know who you are. But do the things we've been hearing you do. And Jesus responds. He says, uh, um, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. You know, Matthew and Mark would say in his hometown town, in his own household, in his own family. John says in 7.5 that even his brothers didn't believe in him. But then he responds here, But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up 
Three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And he's saying that Elijah, this, this prophet to the nation of Israel, right, during a time of famine, he wasn't sent to any Israelite that needed help. Instead, he was sent to a widow, you know, a pagan woman in Sidon. And then he continued, gives another example in 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. It's the same thing. Elisha was a prophet to the nation of Israel. There's all there's a slew of, of lepers in, Na- in Israel that need healing, but instead God sends him to Naaman the Syrian. And how do they respond to this? Essentially, he's saying, he, he's saying that, that, that God sovereignly chose not to send someone to his people, but they get mad there and they says, and when they heard these things on the synagogue were filled with wrath, And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. So see how this changed? In the time, you know, before he got there, everybody's excited. When he comes, everybody's excited. They're marveling at what he's saying. But it's not enough for them what he's saying because it's not lining up with who they believe him to be. So what they say is, Jesus then, show us, prove to us who you are, do the things that we've been hearing. And Jesus says, no, I'm not bound by your will. Because I just told you I'm the Messiah and you still think I'm Joseph's son. And now you want me to prove it by doing what you have been hearing I'm doing. And Jesus, I'm not bound by that because it's a matter of God's sovereignty. God tells, God tells Moses that I will have mercy on who I have mercy on, I will have compassion on who I will have compassion on. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to do simply because you want me to do it. And their response is they're angry and they cast him out. Right? This is Jesus that they known since he was a child. And now all of a sudden they're ready to throw him off this cliff. That's the level of rejection that he has. And then in Scripture, you, you would see that Jesus never returned to Nazareth. Now, I don't mean to say that when you experience some static or some tension with someone that you used to know and you get rejected that you leave Will's Point and you never come back or you leave Edgewood and never come back. That's not what I'm saying. If that were the case, we wouldn't have Stone Point is what we have it now. But the point is, if we are not about the message, and we're more about ourselves and what people think of us in this small town, we're not going to share the message. And yeah, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Even for me, it's difficult because there are friends that I have that, that, I, that, I, that I did life with before that I care about deeply. I hardly ever see them anymore. I mean, if they were to walk in here, I'd, oh, Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. But man, how'd you find your way here? In some ways, that's the truth. But in, in, in some ways, for me, I don't duck them and dodge them, but I'm kind of afraid to have that conversation. So how do we practically, how do we do this? There's not an exhaustive list of one, two, three, four, five, do these things and you're going to be able to share. But it's simply just flip. Flip it. Make it about the message instead of about the messenger. Because who are we? If we are alive in Christ, right? The old is gone. The new has come. You're a new creation. You should walk in newness of life. The, that that, you, that they believe you are is not who you really are if you're in Christ. But if you're in Christ, Jesus himself, he read it. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you're in Christ, you have his spirit. Therefore, you could say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He's given me a message. 
And that message is to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. The recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is the message that we have. It is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. Right? Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. On the, he was buried. And on the third day, he rose according to the scriptures. In two weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about him rising from the grave according to the scriptures. And that is the gospel. But when we get hung up on what people think of us in this small town because they know us. I spent a lot of time with this person. What if they're going to see right through me? Does that change the message? And does it change what they need to hear? But when we make it about us instead of them and about Jesus, we'll falter. I heard this recently. Dick mentioned that you know, we went to this conference this week, and, um, and it was such a refreshing conference just to get out of the office. But, but I heard many little nuggets throughout there that just really sat with me. But, but this one thing... It really stuck with me, especially in light of this message today. And um, this guy, he said that, um, he said 99% is hard. It's really hard. But 100% is easy. 99% is hard, but 100% is easy. But if we're 99% invested, that's a lot. That's a lot of investment, 99%. But that 1% is where we're going to take a step back. When we get in that conversation that, that, we, that we've been avoiding or we've been dreading happening, but we encounter that person that we would say we really care about, that was a friend that we spent time with, we know their family, we know their kids, and all that, and we get in that opportunity where we could say something, we could speak in their life, we could simply, hey, do you want to come to church with me on Easter Sunday? One percent that's left is that temptation to just take a step back. And it's hard because we have to wrestle with that tension. We have to wrestle with that inside of us. Do I say this? What are they going to think of me? Am I putting them a spot? And all those questions are going through our head. But 100% is easy because 100% devotion, being 100% bought in means you've already resolved in your mind and in your heart that you are who he says you are, not who they believe you to be. And when you enter in that conversation and you have that opportunity, you see it, there's no 1% leaning back. It's 100% leaning in. It's like, hey, would you come to church with me on Easter? Why? Because you're a sinner and you need Jesus. Maybe not quite that bluntly. <laughs> but, but that's the, that's the message. You know, and, and if they flip it on you, man, hey, you remember when we used to do this? We used to do that. Remember when we go out to the lake? Remember when you did that? Remember when we were on the boat that time you did that little dance? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. 1% would just, 1% just glory in, their, in the shame with them. Just like, yeah, I remember that, man. Those, those were good times. That was a lot of fun. But in reality, in light of Scripture, it's horrible. I have memories in my head that I wish could come out. As most of you do, I'm sure. But when you get in those conversations, people, you know, they, they want to relive those days because they've got nothing better. It's tough because you care about them and you don't want to put them on the spot, but golly, their eternity's on the line. It's just being open, it's being honest. Hey, man, yeah, it was fun in a sense, but man, that was, it wasn't right. 
What do you, what do you mean it wasn't right? What are you saying? I'm saying, do you, you know why I did those things? Because I was, I was insecure. I didn't know who I was. I lacked self-confidence. I wanted you to like me. Cody, we've known each other since we were kids. I know, and I've, ever since we were kids. I just kept throwing up this front. I just kept doing all these things, trying to find acceptance and hoping that people would like me, that you would enjoy spending time with me. And it led to this and to that and to other things. And I was destroying my body and I was wasting time. I was wasting money. And none of it fulfilled me, man. None of it fulfilled me. After all you guys got married and you all moved out of the house and I'm sitting there by myself, you know what I did? I went out and I got in my truck and I drove around by myself. I did all the things that we used to do together by myself until I came to a point where Jesus stopped me in the middle of the road and said, you know what, that's not who you are. You are who I say you are, and I say you're mine. You're not lost and without hope in this world. You're my child. Get up, dust yourself off, and start doing what I want you to do. And what I want you to do is share what I just did for you. Well, we've got to start operating out of 100%, not 99. Because 100% is easy, but we have to resolve in our heart to be it. That's connecting. That's connecting daily. That's in his word. That's spending time in prayer. That's in fellowship with his people. That's finding encouragement in his people. And some may say, no, 100% is hard. Mm-mm. 99% is. I'll... I've operated out of 99% for quite a while. I'm on this stage teaching you right now. You would think I ought to be at 100%. Most of the time, I'm at 99 if I'm lucky. Because I fear those conversations. Honestly, I fear going to my neighbor. I know the guy. I mean, I got his number. We talk about, dog. hey, my little puppy dog's over there. Can you help get him back? And my kids lost a shoe. I think it was your dog that took it over there. I can talk about meaningless things, but at the same time, I mean, I'm even fearful walking over there, knocking on his door. Hey, guys, you want to go to church on Easter Sunday? That's honest truth. But if we're operating a 9 or 9 out of 100%, all that fear is removed because I know that the message is worth whatever may come. The apostles speak to it. You can see that in Paul, you can see it in Peter, you can see it in John. James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe, ends up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He wrote the letter, James, in your Bible, practical Christian living. And in his message, in his letter, it's progress, not perfection, but 100% is required. So this season, in this small town, How are we to respond? I think I can speak for the staff, the leadership of this church, and saying that our desire desire is not for for this church to grow, but our desire is for this community and this town to know that God's people are here. I mean, what if we're so bold and we're 100% bought in that when you encounter someone out in Brookshire's, instead of dodging him or going down a different aisle, you approach that person and you just start having a conversation, whether you mean to talk about Christ or not. But if it leads in that way, you are receptive to the Spirit, you're 100% body in, you start asking questions, and all of a sudden, hey, do you go to Stone Point? Yeah. How do you know that? All of y'all ask the same questions. What if? 
The people in this community knew that God's people were here. But the only way they know that is if we are telling them that God is here. And it requires 100%. 99% is hard. 100% is easy. And I pray that we would walk in that. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for, for your church. Lord, I thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, I thank you for giving us a purpose and a calling, Lord. Not, not to just call us out of that darkness, just, just to sit and do nothing with, with the message that we've received. Lord, when we're fear, fearful of that, you, you tell us, Lord, in Acts, in Acts 1, Lord, you, you, you tell us that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You say that we will be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, Lord, that we would be your witnesses because of the power that we receive in the Holy Spirit. And I just pray, Lord, that if we would say we're in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, that we begin walking in that power. Or 2 Timothy, you tell us that we do not have a spirit of fear, Lord, but, but a spirit of, of power and love and self-control, Lord. And I just I pray that we, we, we root ourselves in that, Lord, and walk in that, Lord, so that people around us would know that your people live here and your people want to make a difference in this community and people's lives. And as we share that, Lord, and people would respond, Lord, that disciples would make disciples on top of more disciples, Lord, and that your gospel would go forth in not just this community, but this county and the surrounding areas, Lord, but it starts with us. Why not us? If we operate out of 99%, Lord, that's why not us. But I pray, Lord, that you just move in our hearts. Moving our minds, Lord, to be renewed, to desire the things that you desire after, Lord. <laughs> because 100% is easy. And I pray that you just lead us to that place. Not just because Easter's two weeks away, Lord, because the Sunday after Easter is coming. And we have a heart for that Sunday just as much as we have a heart for Easter and a heart for your people, Lord. Let us make it about you and your message, not about us, Lord, that we would decrease so that you could increase. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.